This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Happy Friday. Time to look back at the week and make sense of the biggest local and statewide stories in our weekly news recap. A new WBEZ Chicago Sun-Times poll is showing Democrats don't appear to be in danger of losing any of their statewide offices in Springfield. Republican mega-donor Richard Uli donating $13.9 million to Dan Prof's Super PAC. For 25 years, ABC7 political reporter Charles Thomas gave you the straight news. Now, he's giving you real talk on the governor's race. Another major utility company is now facing a criminal charge related to corruption allegations. Here to dive deep into those headlines and more is WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Egoen. Welcome back, Kimberly. So great to be with you all. Also with us is Dan Mihalopoulos, WBEZ investigative politics reporter. Good to see you, Dan. My pleasure. And WBEZ reporter Mike Puente is here. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you? So we're going to start off with this morning's breaking news. AT&T has admitted to bribing an associate of former House Speaker Mike Madigan. What are the details, Dan? So this is very similar to what happened a couple of years ago with Mike Madigan, where um, there was the accusation that ComEd had um, bribed Mike Madigan. And ComEd admitted that they hired a bunch of people to do little or nothing as consultants, Madigan allies, to win influence with Madigan and ultimately get legislation that was favorable to them. Legislation that, by the way, raised the rates of how much we pay for electricity in places like this and in our homes across northern Illinois. Now there's a new front, essentially, in the federal case against Madigan where yet another massive company that relies on state regulators for a lot of things is admitting, and and it's a much smaller fine, so I guess AT&T can say we're not as bad as ComEd, but it's uh, $23 compared to the $200 million fine that ComEd agreed to pay uh, a couple years ago. But it it adds another charge. It's a superseding indictment is what they call it. So Mike Madigan was already charged with corruption, Mm -hmm. but now he is charged with uh, yet another uh, situation where the feds say that um, he's his power in Springfield, which was almost absolute. You know, uh, they they passed some legislation that favored AT&T. AT&T apparently had trouble getting it done before. But after they hired a former legislator, um, retired legislator and helped him supplement his pension uh, with a gig that involved no actual work. Uh, they got what they wanted in Springfield. Mm. At least that's the allegation. And we should add, Mike Madigan has denied everything up until now. Yeah. Kimberly, your thoughts on this? Well, it's interesting because now, of course, as Dan just said, a superseding uh, charge. And I think so many people, of course, he's entitled to all of his days in court because they seem to be getting more extensive at this point. But so many are wondering, when are you finally going to get actual trials? When when are you going to find? I mean, this is the same thing that we're thinking about with the indicted aldermen in the city of Chicago, you're mm-hmm. not seeing many people actually go to trial so that we can try and put these things behind us. But then again, Dan, how do you put it behind you if you keep getting new charges? Well, the wheels of justice move slowly. Um, you know, the, the statute of limitations on some of these things is, is like five years or something like that. So they, they want to make sure they have a case that is airtight. They want to make sure that they can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And then um, you have guys like you mentioned, Ed Burke, um, is still an alderman, and uh, Mike Madigan, who's left the legislature, um, and both of them have millions and millions of dollars in campaign funds mm-hmm. uh, that they can use legally in Illinois uh, to defend themselves against corruption charges like mm-hmm. this, and, right. th- and that's what they're doing. 
And that sums it up nicely from their point of view. But from the point of view of the the people (laughs) in the state of Illinois, city of Chicago and all of these places, because if if these charges are in fact true, that means a lot of policies were changed just to benefit a very few, a lot of tax dollars, a lot of influence that took money out of the communities who really needed it. We're talking about rate hikes. We're talking about all the things that you don't want to see. So I think that they need to move a little faster so we can figure out whether this happened or not. All right, let's shift over to the election that's uh, now been uh, or it's now less than a month away. A new Sun-Times WBEZ poll shows J.B. Pritzker has a double digit lead over Darren Bailey. Dan, what did that poll show us? I mean, it's shown us pretty much everything that we've seen in previous polls as well. It's 15 point lead for J.B. Pritzker. You know, we know this is a predominantly blue state. Uh, there was a Republican governor relatively recently in, in Bruce Rauner, who was defeated by J.B. Pritzker in the last election. But um, definitely J.B. Pritzker wanted a, a head-to-head matchup with Darren Bailey because Darren Bailey was, uh, well, maybe not the most far-right candidate in the primary because there were a few of them. But he was um, far to the right of the candidate that the mainstream Republicans wanted. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think this is kind of a predictable um you know, outcome um, that we're we're veering toward. There doesn't seem to be any uh, no reason to. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any reason to think that suddenly the state has gone red and and is going to elect a farmer from far far away from the population centers of the state, a farmer who has called Chicago a hellhole. So yeah. I, I'm not even sure that he thinks that's a winning strategy, but he felt it needed to be said, and he's saying it. Despite the polls showing Pritzker as the clear front runner, though conservative mega donor Richard Uline is putting his money on another candidate. What's the latest, Dan? So Dick Uline, what can we say about him? There's boxes probably at any place where you work, um, including our workplace, I believe, that come from this company, Uline, which moved just across the state line into Wisconsin. But he's from Lake Forest, and I believe the company was started originally in Illinois, and he's one of the biggest donors in re- to Republican causes in the whole country. He's giving a lot of money to people who are election deniers mm-hmm. all over the country, people who think that, that Donald Trump won the 2020 election for president, which he didn't, obviously. Um, he has given a lot of money here locally now to try to get Darren Bailey elected as governor, and um, he, a lot of it goes through um, this pack. Uh, people who play by the rules pack, which is run by a, a far right um, operative um, and radio show host Dan uh, na- named Dan Proft, mm-hmm. who apparently now lives in, in Florida. <laughs> $52 million. Uline has spent more than $52 million to back uh, Darren Bailey. Anybody, yeah. anybody shocked by that amount of money? I'm looking at you, Kimberly. Not at <laughs> this point. Not, not, I mean, not at this point. It looks like you have to be a billionaire to win this seat and you have to have access to a lot of funds. The one thing that I will say, I think that um, when we're talking about being an incumbent, of course, obviously the governor has that advantage. He also has a record that he has to run on and he's able to say, these are the things that I've done. For example, COVID-19, I protected you from COVID-19. That was a big one, right? But you are seeing Bailey, even if he doesn't feel like he really has a chance, you're seeing him chip away at some of the weaker spots such as cannabis, it was supposed to be a social equity program. There mm-hmm. still is not an African-American dispensary or a grower or anything. That's a failure. Um, there are other things that he's trying to point out, as well as using African-Americans in his ads 
to chip away because African-Americans are the base of the party. So it's just really interesting still mm-hmm. to watch those dynamics, even though, as Dan said, I don't know that it's going to make much of a mark considering the candidate, the candidate, yeah. Darren Bailey. But when the candidate gets, in, you know, and, you know, hurts their own candidacy, hurts their own campaign by saying, um, you know, Chicago is a hellhole. Uh, that doesn't help either. But, you know, I'm not surprised by these uh, amounts of money. When you have a billionaire sitting already as governor, you got to fight back somehow and, you know, try to fund your campaign somehow. But it just some of these numbers, though, are astronomical as to yeah. how I mean, talks about access to to the higher ups, the, the 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 all the way to the governor's office. That's a lot of money and that's a lot of influence. And. It doesn't bode well. I mean, what is it? How does it? How does that help the constituency? How does it help the everyday people? Great point. Well, yeah. This is all relative, though. I mean, fifty million compared to the record one hundred and seventy-one million that JB spent um, in twenty twenty, and he's worth, I think, by most estimates, three four billion dollars. So, wow. it's well, like twenty bucks to me. Are you? We mentioned <laughs> Dan Proft not that long ago. His conservative people who play by the rules pack, which which. Dan Mahalopoulos told us about, uh, has a new campaign ad that is surprising a lot of journalists. Let's listen to this. For 25 years, ABC7 political reporter Charles Thomas gave you the straight news. Now he's giving you real talk on the governor's race. Darren Bailey, I met the man. He's a family farmer. Somebody who understands what it's like to go to work every day. Somebody who, who who's fair-minded. I can trust this guy. Yeah, this ran during the Bears game last <laughs> night, I hear. Political reporter Charles Thomas retired from ABC7 back in 2017. It's been reported he received $50,000 to do this ad. I want to go around the table because <laughs> I'm already seeing some smirks. I want to get everyone's thoughts. I'm going to start with you, Miss Kimberly. Well, it was shocking. And and to me, as I, we've been saying on our station, the quality of the commercial, Justin, let's forget about the fact that he was a 25-year journalist and that is what he put on the line, you know, for this. I guess he is officially done with being a journalist. But the quality of the commercial, it was almost like a Saturday Night Live commercial. <laughs> I was looking for the laugh track. It looked because, like a spoof. <laughs> yes. And then the second one comes out and I'm thinking, well, maybe there's a little bit more substance to it. And then at the end, he turns and looks at us like he's an actor. So I'm just confused about, you know, there's a lot of money being spent. I'm just not quite sure what they were trying to gain by that, because there is no real he doesn't really say anything about Darren Bailey, his policies. He just says he's a farmer. We all know he's a farmer now. (laughs) What do you think, Dan? Uh, CT, if you're listening, what are you doing? (laughs) No, no, seriously, I I, is a guy I looked up to. um, He went to Mizzou J school like I did, and they, they certainly um, oh, so you were you, super disappointed. I, I don't know if that, that's the word I would use. It's his <laughs> life, and he's retired now, and, and they paid him $50,000 um, to do it. Um, and, and there may be more where that's coming from uh, as we look at the campaign finance reports. But when I first met him at City Hall as a, as a reporter there in the press gallery, you know, off to the side of the city council chambers, he once said to me, um, you know, I'm the most intransigent reporter in Chicago, referring to himself. Okay. Although I might say that for myself as well. <laughs> but no, seriously, um, he really saw himself as, as in the journalist side and not on the field. And if there's any bit of substance to this, look, one day I got a call at home that it was a robocall of a town hall meeting several weeks ago with Charles Thomas talking up Darren Bailey and saying this is the first time that he has felt that he can endorse a candidate and yeah. work for a candidate is the way that he phrased it yeah. uh, on that call. 
And the one bit of substance that I got from listening to about 20, 25 minutes of that, um, and I don't think they knew I was listening. <laughs> the one bit of substance was, you know, he's saying, look, the Democratic Party has had power in Illinois for a long time. Mm-hmm. What have they done for the African-American community? And his argument was he thinks that the African-American community on the south and west sides, although he said he lives downtown, he thinks that the African-American community will relate more to Farmer Darren Bailey from mm-hmm. Louisville or Xenia, Illinois, two, three hundred miles away than it will to the billionaire J.B. Pritzker. That was the message. So did he just do the short version it. of that for the commercial? Because he said none of that. Because if you can, if you say no, that, this whether one, this is just I can trust this guy. Right. Whether Because, right. you know, at least whether you agree with it or not, you can make the point. But in that commercial, none of that was there. It's 30 seconds. Well, yeah, well. And the subtlety is lost. Mike, right. have we seen anything like this before where a former reporter gets paid to endorse a candidate? I, you know, I haven't seen that. I mean, I, I've known Charles Thomas. I kind of have always looked up to him, respected him, and uh, consider him a, a friend. And, and I still do, but he must have had his reasons to do that, but he's... He ha- he just built a career of being a trusted reporter, and mm-hmm. he, he's he's really jeopardizing all that. And um, if I don't know, I the commercial I saw, I also see images of you know Ron Majors and Cheryl Burton. Did they ask to be in that ad? I, I don't know. So um, again, I'm sure he had his reasons to do it. But yeah. if he ever decides to go back, I thought it was actually announcing a, a radio talk show or something. I wasn't sure where it was I was going. I had to see it <laughs> several I said, times. I said, but it's in the weekly news recap. It must be something. Yes, well, right. well, he did have a radio talk show with Maze Jackson. He had a, a radio talk show, but he ago. also has launched a new radio talk show as well with Mark Wallace. So when you first watch it, you're yeah. like, oh, real talk, yeah, and he's right. you real know, talk, and then you just. Keep watching. Yeah. It is not what you think. Well, listen, uh, Kimberly, respond to this. We've got a, a comment here from Proud Chicagoan on YouTube. Mm-hmm. They say, I have no issues with the ads. Why is this a big deal? Uh, for me, it's just the quality. I, I just, uh, you know, I'm looking at the commercials. They pay a lot of money for these commercials. And so I'm just trying to see, are they getting any type of message across? And I just think that that was a miss mm-hmm. when you're listening to him. And he he says farmer like five times. We know the guy's a farmer. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, yeah. Like, do you guys remember the commercial? Yeah, that's the ticket. That's what it <laughs> felt like. It just felt just wrong. I don't know. Well, I, I, you know, it could be one of those things like from like, right, the the uh, the um, person who wrote in, you know, he doesn't have a problem with it. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe just from a, a journalist standpoint, somebody you looked up to who built that trust with the, with the viewer. Um, it to me it just felt a little yeah. off putting. Mm-hmm. But again, like Dan said, he's retired. He can do what he wants. In his well, our, our YouTube viewer says went on to say, I feel like a lot of former journalists move into paid posts for think tanks etc. Well, to further it, explain their point. It's not unprecedented for a journalist to leave journalism and work for either party exactly. or, or for any sort of advocacy group. So that that's not really, uh, I think, the issue here. It's like I said, it's his life. So um, he wants to do that. Um, you know, we can argue about what uh, how effective it might be yeah. or what it means for his legacy uh, as a journalist. But Do you, Charles? Do you? Well, let's quickly uh, turn to a race that isn't as high profile, but still very important. The candidates for Illinois Attorney General, they faced off in a virtual debate via Zoom. What did we learn from that debate, Dan? You know, the the, the debate, um, 
I mean, how much are debates going to tell us at this point? <laughs> I mean, there's a vast gap between the candidates and, and people know what their positions are. And I think we know what most people in Illinois feel about these issues. So um, for me, um, I don't think it's going to change much. Attorney General Kwame Raoul accused Republican challenger Thomas DeVore of making dangerous remarks while DeVore accused Raoul of failing students by not challenging Pritzker's COVID restrictions. And he kind of went back and forth on that. Well, that's DeVore's thing, you know. That, that's been his thing, much like Darren Bailey from the start. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I think, you know, that's consistent with his views. I don't know that that's tracked with the views of people in the state as a whole, as exhausted as people are yeah. with COVID and COVID restrictions. Um, but, you know, that's what he came in uh, to do. Um, he was litigating uh, together with Darren Bailey against what they say were unilateral moves by the state. Um, and by the governor primarily. Um, and and so this is what they're going to ride uh, through November. Yeah. We'll pick up the weekly news recap in just a moment with WVON's Kimberly Agoen, WBEZ's Mike Puente, and Dan Mahalopoulos. Back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, we're going behind the headlines in our weekly news recap. But before the break, we took a deep dive into the governor's race and some candidate endorsements. But there's much more to get to. Amazon warehouse workers in southwest suburban Joliet are planning to stage a walkout this afternoon. Workers are demanding better wages and a workplace free of injury and harassment. Elective abortions are allowed in Indiana. Websites for Chicago's Midway and O'Hare airports were taken off line today in a series of cyber attacks. Columbus Day is alive and well on State Street. With us is WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Goen, WBEZ reporters Mike Puente and Dan Mihalopoulos. And a reminder, you can now watch the weekly news recap live on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. You can also leave us a comment or question, and I may just read what you have to say about these stories on the air. All right, over to you, Kimberly. Monday for many, it was a day off of work a day off of school, but Columbus Day, which is now also known as Indigenous Peoples Day, was not without controversy. What was going on in Chicago on Monday? So, of course, we know that this harkens back to 2020 when there was a a huge dispute in the wake of uh, everything that happened with George Floyd and just a general awakening across the country where people wanted to take stock of who their heroes are and who they feel should be dethroned from those positions. Christopher Columbus, of course, the statues were removed because there was a major protest about that at that time. The mayor has always said that she felt that the statues probably would be returned. She has never been on record as saying that she wanted to get rid of Columbus Day, although there have been bills or ordinances in city council calling for that exact same thing and also to replace it with Indigenous Peoples Day. So on Indigenous Peoples slash Columbus Day, which Mm -hmm. we'll just call it all of that because I'm not sure what it is anymore. On that day, there was a protest where actual members of the Indigenous community gathered but it sounds like there are some fractions in even among that movement. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being kind of extremely loud, et cetera. And they were supposed to have a press conference that was shut down by some protesters. And so it ended up with uh, a constituency led by Alderman Maria Haddon to have a discussion about Indigenous Peoples Day, kind of taken away from that that large crowd to just discuss why it's important to kind of move away from the colonization of this country and to respect the the what she terms people of color. Yeah. On Monday, Kimberly, in Lincoln Park, something very different was going on also in connection with Indigenous Peoples Day. So is that that's the the 
it, it, the larger event that I was the with the okay gotcha. yes that was the one that I was talking about. So that, mm-hmm. is this debate though over this holiday? Right, it was we talked about not knowing what to call it at this point. Yeah. Is this something that your listeners at WVON are also calling? Well, we've it had about? the discussion, and we've actually had both sides on. So what you're looking at is people who are basically saying that Christopher Columbus should not be honored. We need to look at him and what his actual impact of him coming to the Americas was, you know, millions dying, uh, tribes wiped out, colonization, slave trade. But then also we've had people from the Italian-American community because they have chosen this man to be someone who they do put on hero status. And they continued with their parade as well. So it's it's when you talk about any time taking something away from a community, you are going to have a real discussion about it before anything happens. Yeah, I agree. Uh, last year, President Biden, as we mentioned, issued the proclamation to observe Indigenous Peoples Day alongside Columbus Day. Several states have stopped celebrating Columbus Day altogether. Where does Illinois stand when it comes to this debate? Make it clear. Well, in the state of Illinois, I know that there was a bill that was to try and take away Columbus Day. Um, but right now we are recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day, but we're also recognizing Columbus Day. So I don't see, you know, I don't know how the bill to just make it Indigenous Peoples Day stalled. That was um, signed by Governor Rauner back in 2017. Yeah. Yes. But to, to get mm. rid of Columbus Day, which I'm talking about, for example, in the city of Chicago, that has stalled. That's gone nowhere. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Dan, do you think that we are going to see any movement in Springfield? Well, when you talk about whether there'll be any movement, as Kim said, you have to look at what are the groups that that value each of these different designations. And so on the one side, you have the Italian-Americans, and they're a big group in Illinois. Um, They are, I think, the third largest Italian-American community, and they have a massive diaspora all over the world, Mm -hmm. but the third biggest population outside of New York and and Philadelphia. And then um, when you talk about indigenous people, it's not just uh, the the tribes of the Midwest that have an interest here. I would argue um, when you look at the huge uh, Mexican-American community mm-hmm. in Chicago, a lot of uh, people uh, in the Mexican-American community might view themselves right as, as a um, mestizaje, as a mix mm-hmm. of as La Raza, mm-hmm. as a mix of European heritage and indigenous people, such as the Aztecs and the Mayas. So and there's also a movement a for African. Yeah. Uh, there's an African American movement as well to say that they are also indigenous. And, and of course, Afro Caribbean mm-hmm. um, communities and, and many others who uh, have some roots in the indigenous communities of the Americas as a whole, not just as a the United States, which Columbus never came to. Um, it's in in and of itself what is now the United States. So it's I think two different groups that, that don't want to budge. And um, you know why don't the Italians uh, prefer for someone else, um, a lot of them talk about, well, you know, it was Catanzara, another Italo-American, right. uh, the John Catanzara, the head of the FOP, who complained uh, that the Pope was not doing enough uh, to support Columbus. Um, <laughs> oh. I, did, I didn't realize that the head of the Fraternal Order of Police is infallible, but um, he wanted to trump oh, the Pope on that one. Well, Mike, well, how has yeah. Indiana handled this well, debate? I'm curious. It, it, it's still uh, officially the state holiday, Columbus Day, but in different parts of the state of Indiana, in sort of your more progressive areas like Indianapolis and college towns, West Lafayette, home of Purdue and Indiana University in Bloomington, they also celebrate Indigenous People's Day. And um, 
you know, I, I, I'm hoping that, you know, one day we, you know, you know, far be it from me, I'm Mexican American, I can't tell another group of people who they should be celebrating, but perhaps we can come to a, a place where we can celebrate the Italian culture because we, we all love it. We love the food. We love the, the culture. People love traveling to Italy, but perhaps not putting everything of the Italian culture on Columbus. Why not someone like Amerigo Vespucci, who America is named after, and mm-hmm. he was an explorer in his own right. So, again, I can't tell the Italian-American community who they should right. look up to. Yeah. But at the same time, they have to recognize, and it's not across the border with Italians, of the the tainted legacy that Columbus brings. Mm-hmm. And also this idea that we, you know, there's also a pushback in telling, quote unquote, the real history of America in, in high schools and in, in grade schools. We have to tell that por- portion. And history has become so uh, a political thing now that just teaching accuracy has become politics. Yeah. If you don't have the whole story, how do you, how are you supposed to... Mm-hmm have your draw a conclusion. Yeah. Well, you know, Indiana may not be there yet, but more than 100 cities, including L.A., Denver, Phoenix, and Seattle, have replaced Columbus with Indigenous Peoples Day. Chicago Public Schools has done that too, Kimberly. So, I mean, it does seem like there are some local ways that this can be done, even without this state bill passing. I'm thinking that in those cities, there must not have been major pushback from the Italian-American Civic League's that you are seeing in the city of Chicago because they are not letting this go. Mm -hmm. And it's similar to what Mike just said. How do you tell a group of people who they should decide to celebrate and then also who should the the substitute be? That's something Mm -hmm. that they have to come to their own conclusion organically. However, the fact that the city of Chicago has seen fit and people in the city of Chicago have seen fit to also raise their voices, that is what America is all about. Mike, I'm going to get back to you and talk a bit more about Indiana politics for a moment. Uh, The state Supreme Court will be allowing abortions to continue for now. Correct. What's the latest? Well, the latest is the Indiana Supreme Court is going to take this case. They're probably not going to hear it until January of some time. So there is a the ACLU along with defending the Planned Parenthood in a a ban on abortions in Indiana where it bans pretty much every every abortion with very few exceptions of uh, rape incest the mother's life is at risk um but uh, if it's like in a situation where rape or incest you have to have it done within 10 weeks that law was passed in a special session in August and uh almost immediately after almost a week after it went into effect in September uh, a court, a, a lower court judge, uh, handed a, uh, a stay on enforcing this new ban. So, um, right now it's in the courts and in the hands of the courts. Mm-hmm. There's also another lawsuit that ACLU is handling that the ban also violates, uh, somebody's religious freedom that under certain religions, um, abortion is allowed. So for right now, it's sort of the status quo in Indiana. Um, and we'll see what happens in, in, in January or February when it comes down. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Agoen and WBEZ reporters Mike Puente and Dan Mihalopoulos. Sticking with you, Mike, efforts to unionize, that continues to gain momentum in our area and beyond. Workers at Amazon, uh, at a warehouse in Joliet, they've walked out. What are they asking for? 
Well, I believe they're asking for collective bargaining, collective bargaining rights. You have Amazon is growing by leaps and bounds, and we see the ads, the ads for workers out there, but we also hear complaints about working conditions, working hours, not having enough sick time and vacation time and just... And, and what looks like outright racism here. Black employees have said that there's a hostile work environment, including employees wearing Confederate flags. That's right. Um, so collective bargaining um, could be an effort to um, have protections for workers. Uh, Illinois is a very strong union state, at least the Chicagoland area is. And uh, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. Field Museum employees have also expressed their intent to unionize. What's the latest there, Mike? Um, that I'm not as familiar with, yeah. so maybe Dan knows a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> How about you to you, Dan? Um, well, I think we're seeing a lot of unionization. Uh, yeah. Field Museum employees want to unionize. We've seen unionization in the Starbucks and some of them. We've seen What are your uh, thoughts on, on whether these might be successful? Yeah, they're they're increasingly successful. I mean, I think we've, we've had some reports recently that there are far more um, efforts uh, to get certified relative to other years. I think we had some reports coming out on Labor Day here at WBZ on how um, unionization is increasing after many, many decades of, of decline, mm-hmm. and it does have an impact. There was another study that just came out that says a person who's in a union makes an average of $1.3 million more than a non-union person over the course of their um, – and, and to full disclosure, we're members of SAG-AFTRA, Mike, right. and, Mike right. and I, I know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the rank and, fi- rank and file here, yeah, here at, um, at WBZ, so we should – and just uh, agreed a contract a short time ago, a few months ago for three, was it three or four years? So, um, yeah, I think that there's a, a lot more unionization going on. Um, and and I think um, that's a pendulum that's that's swinging back, although the numbers have gone yeah. down so much. I don't know that the pendulum swings all the way back. For- I'm just wondering, is there, though, going to be any backlash to shutting down actual stores because people say that they want to form a union? That just seems a little... You mean Amazon? Are you referring no, to? No, well, I was thinking about Starbucks. So that was oh, the latest yeah. one. And mm-hmm. they're, they're the, the, um, people, I think at the Bryn Mawr location of Starbucks, they have shown an interest and already filed, you know, an interest to unionize there. And now the word is that they're shutting the store down. Well, management does have that power. And, and I think we have seen that in other areas, including in the media when, uh, remember DNA mm-hmm. Info unionized a few years ago and, and, the billionaire owner said, well, I'm taking the ball and going home. But it isn't just uh, retail workers and Amazon workers. We're also seeing pushback with airline pilots, airline mm-hmm. pilots and mm-hmm. stewardesses, uh, flight attendants. Flight attendants. Uh, yeah. they, uh, they have pushed back on some of the demands of the airlines, and they have walked out or staged informational picketing. And as we see with downsizing of certain uh, companies and asking workers to work longer hours, uh, it just makes sense, and we can't forget about teachers, teachers unionizing or in unions. It's a big issue in Indiana where teachers' pay has been a huge hot-button issue with mm. workers walking out or staging huge, big rallies in Indianapolis. I mean, I'm teachers' sure, pay you know, deserves to continue to be a hot-button <laughs> issue. Right, that's right. So honest. collective bargaining, union rights, unionization – it's something that is is not going to go away. Yeah. Which is why it's an amendment that's going to be on all of our ballots in November. Yes. The Workers' Rights Amendment. Angela, our friend on YouTube, says, I saw Starbucks was closing their unionized Edgewater store. Mm-hmm. 
She says, I suppose the Field Museum can't just close for that, though. Oh, good point. Right. Um, Well, Mike brings up flight attendants and pilots. I want to close this segment of uh, the recap with a story that we might have missed, Kimberly. Oh, yeah. A cyber attack on O'Hare and Midway's websites. So according to the airports, and of course, we're talking about air travel. I'm the worst flyer in the world. And, and I used to work for the airports. Terrible flyer. What do you mean? Just oh, you, you're scared? nervous about flying. Okay. Not, it's not my thing, but you have to do it, right? Yes. So imagine you're going to get your flight and all of a sudden all the websites are down. Well, that's going to put in your mind, well, what else is going on with the security? But we have been assured that at Midway and O'Hare and also LaGuardia, this impacted several airports around the country. According to news, they were Russian hackers. Killnet is the name of the organization that is taking credit for it. And they wanted to create chaos and confusion. And I think that they did to a certain degree because it's it's kind of a little scary because you're wondering where is the the line between just having your website confused. Yeah. But having planes confused or having <laughs> air tra- traffic controller confused. Yeah. I was affected by it Monday morning. Okay. I, I, I flew from O'Hare to LaGuardia on Monday to, you know, um, pick up a couple Edward oh R. Murrow awards for oh, WBZ okay. in Manhattan. Thank you very much. And um, toot, toot. So I, I overslept my Uber at like five in the morning, <laughs> four forty-five a.m. and um, ended up trying to look on my phone for mm-hmm. parking. And you know, because I don't know how much do they charge as uh, depending on which lot you're in. Right. And I found out it's forty-six bucks a day. <laughs> oh no, but, um, a day. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. For um, if you're up close by the terminal, and I did make it to the gate sixteen minutes. Uh, uh, to spare, but um, the website was down and I couldn't figure it out. The only other thing I remember happening like this, I tried to look up campaign contributions on the Illinois State Board of Elections a year or two ago. They they were hit by uh, Russian hackers mm-hmm. as well. So I think we might as well get used to it as long as they are um, losing in Ukraine, which they are. Um, they're going to do what they can do. Um, to strike back at the people that they think are supporting Ukraine. And it isn't just airlines. You have to be careful. I I know sometimes they try to go after utilities, public utilities, uh, railroads. Um, So uh, these type of hacking um, isn't uncommon. they got to be ready for it. Um, And especially like Dan was saying, we're in this heightened sense of security right now because of what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah, well, thank God for this, you know, airport operations and safety were not impacted. We'll pick up the weekly news recap in just a moment with WVON's Kimberly Agoen and WBEZ's Mike Puente and Dan Mahalopoulos. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are back with more of our weekly news recap. With us is WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Agoen, WBEZ reporter Mike Puente, and WBEZ investigative reporter Dan Mahalopoulos. We are still live on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. Wave hi, everyone. (laughs) So more than 40,000 runners descended on Grant Park last Sunday for the Chicago Marathon. So our next story, folks, it has to do with somebody in this room. I'm looking at you, Mike. <laughs> you were one of those 40,000 runners. Set the scene. What, what, did, what, what happened? What was it like? Oh, it was, um, it was great. I mean, kind of now that I survived it, but um, the night before I didn't sleep. I've been training. I've been doing stuff. But the day came and I, they told you you're probably not going to sleep the night before. So uh, I was running late, but I got into my what they call corrals. I was in the last corral, the end corral, and it was just just an amazing experience. Just, um, you know, going through the neighborhood, yeah. seeing all the signs, the fans, the crew that puts it together, all the runners from all around the world, from, 
you know, the, the, just the Kenyan runners who are just fabulous to mm-hmm. professionals to just everyday folks and, uh, and in all colors, all ages, all <laughs> different levels of fitness. Yeah. You know, well, here there was a new division added to the race right. this year as well. What right. are the details there? The, well, the details are there was a non binary division where, um, for non-binary folks. But even with that, there was a little bit of controversy from from my understanding is that there wasn't a, an elite division for that. Okay. And they, there wasn't really a big announcement yeah, of it. Yeah, it wasn't well ad- right. advertised from right here. But at least now people know about it for the future. And, you know, if they're in that category, they can run, they can feel comfortable. And perhaps in the future, they'll have an elite category. Yeah. Whatever elite category, I'm not in that elite category. You're not in the elite. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, there were uh, 70 non-binary racers in this year's marathon, which is incredible. Right. You're wearing, is that, that, is, is that yeah, your that's medal? The <laughs> that's the hardware. Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations. Running, crawling, uh, <laughs> rolling to the finish line. <laughs> crawled. You know? What's your time? Uh, it was, it was after uh, six hours, but, you know, I got there. That's amazing, so. Mike. <laughs> Look, I'm so proud. The of you. first person who ran that race died. So I, I <laughs> oh, admire correct. anyone who f- crosses the finish line. Kimberly, way to kill the, the mood. <laughs> well, it would have been probably better it's my time. Story. You know, <laughs> I stopped at porter potties four or five times in the first hour. You did so what you had time. to do. <laughs> you know, so, you know, so a lot of fluids. Both the men's and women's winners were from Kenya, right? I believe so. I, it, it seems like they're. They're always the elite runners, but, you know, they train for it. They're in a high altitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people say it's just because of genetics or whatever, but they train. I've been looking, I've been studying them and um, they do a lot of amazing things, but they're running, you know, four minute miles. That's something that's almost superhuman. But let's Incredible. not forget the wheelchair event. Oh, yeah. Because the University of Illinois, ILL, they have got the monopoly on training in the wheel. I mean, they've been doing this for like 50 years. And both the male and the female in the wheelchair event who both won were both trained at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And that happens every year. Now, are you taking part in any of these marathons, Kimberly? Absolutely not. (laughs) No way. Was this your first one, Mike? My first one. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to try to run more. But even if you don't run... It's really the the neighborhoods, the neighborhoods that you mm-hmm. go through. They make it special. Even the workers passing out, you know, handing out water and Gatorade, and so are people, people just out and along the sidelines, oh, just with, cheering with you cheering, on, cheering with with signs. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, on my shirt, I had Mike on there, so people were like, "Mike, oh Mike," <laughs> oh, I you love know. It. So it, it really is a celebration of Chicago. So if I never run it again, I definitely plan to volunteer because they really. Put on. It, I mean, all the runners say this is one of the best marathons anywhere. I was supposed to run with my my niece. She's yeah. running in Miami, and she's Miami's nothing like. Yeah, this. a lot of people travel yeah, here. They just travel for here, it. and it, it's really talked up. It's it's really a great experience. Well, I have good news for you. Dan told me earlier that he's running with you next oh, year. Oh no! no <laughs> oh come no, on, Dan. No, we no, can do it. We're going to try to put together a WBZ running team. We can do it. Thirty years and fifty pounds ago, I could run a mile in about five minutes. You're very wow. competitive. Well, I'm so gonna, uh, stress fractures, man. I'll, I'll, if WBBM gets a uh, marathon team, we got to beat them. <laughs> I won't be on it. <laughs> so as we move toward the finish line in yes. our news recap. Uh-huh, like that? I like uh, that. The MacArthur Foundation announced the 25 winners of what's known as the Genius Grant. It includes three Chicagoans. Tell us a little bit about them, Kimberly. Very excited about this. First of all, the grant, you get 800 
$1,000 unrestricted where you can use it in in any way, shape. They just want to encourage your genius. I want to be a genius uh, <laughs> over the over five years. And the three people are very talented from, from Chicago. One is a musician, and they're just saying she's doing just amazing things with her cello and just broadening the horizons of people in music. The other is dealing dealing with a lot dealing with race and the impact in in Chicago uh in communities of color mm-hmm. and just having that discussion and the third one is one that I know personally she's a graduate of the University of Chicago Laboratory School Amanda Williams who has oh. been an artist at the forefront of her medium in which she meets at the intersection of race art color community just has done so many fabulous things is, as a matter of fact, is working on the Obama Library, one oh, of the people incredible. who's working on the interior design of the Obama Library. Geniuses. That uh, cellist you were talking about, Tamika yes. Reed, and Reuben Jonathan Miller is that sociologist working on uh, the impact of incarceration on individuals and their families. Great work. Um, while we're recognizing awards for genius, another one went to the University of Chicago this week, Douglas Diamond. He became the university's 33rd economist to win the prestigious Nobel Prize. Diamond shared his initial reaction. Let's listen. I was sound asleep, so my my own reaction was trying to figure out where my phone was. Uh, So I heard this uh, Swedish voice on there uh, saying, are you Professor Doug Diamond, blah, 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 blah. I said, yes. I I did know this was the day that they announced the prize. Uh, And I... Thought it was probably legit, but you never know. I have some <laughs> friends with good, good sense of humor. <laughs> Diamond's considered one of the world's foremost minds regarding the banking industry, and he won for his influential research on the banking system. So, congratulations, Douglas Diamond, and to the University of Chicago as well. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you are just tuning in, we're going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Agoen and WBEZ reporters Mike Puente and Dan Mahalopoulos. All right, we're going to check out some news about a supermarket mega merger. I don't know if you folks heard this story. Mariano's parent company, Kroger, is actually buying the parent company of Jewel. That's Albertsons. We don't know yet how that might impact the two grocery giants, but is anyone worried about the end of Cheap Chicken Mondays? (laughs) (laughs) My colleagues here on the Reset team, they're shaking in their boots. This is a real thing. We've got to know. They even have T-shirts for that. For Cheap Chicken Mondays? (laughs) Yes, the people who work there. I must know more, please. (laughs) They do. What? I think people are in general just concerned about the price of food. When you're talking about these two, um, Jewel and Mariano's, both fabulous stores, but at very different price points. So the idea that they're going to come together, it's... It's a little unnerving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our earlier guests on the on the program, Brandon Pope, was like, just don't touch my cheap chicken Mondays <laughs> when he heard the news. <laughs> what do you think, Dan? Uh, less competition usually, although some, some readers write in and say, oh, you journalists are communists and socialists. My understanding of capitalism is less competition is not going to result in lower prices. We already have inflation and, you know, uh, double digits uh, mm-hmm. percentage-wise. Um, so... I personally, um, I grew up with an Dominic's family. Yeah. Okay. Dominic's. That's and another popular opinion on the reset team. R- right. They're mm-hmm. also long gone. The other thing I like to do, and I, I'm not going to, I don't have any interest in any of these uh, grocery stores, but I also grew up a lot with, um, kind of ethnic type groceries, like, um, you know, like a fresh farms or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. I can think of in Niles. There seem to be fewer and fewer of those. You know, some people like to buy things from some of those places because I'm told that sometimes it's cheaper. 
than the big chains because they get produce that is about to, you know, uh, get to the end of its lifespan. But if you can go to the store more often, that could be more economical. Right. And if you go to these kind of ethnic type markets where I, I prefer to get produce, fruits and, yeah. and some other and coffee and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Quick uh, story here before we start to wrap. A new national museum highlighting public housing. That's soon going to break ground. Tell us a little bit about the National Public Housing Museum. So excited about this. We had the vice chairman of the board for the National Public Housing Museum on. Her name is Crystal Palmer and also Reverend Marshall Hatch. They were both there for the groundbreaking. This is a museum that has been years in the making, and it should come to fruition by next year. Mm-hmm. And it's just discussing that real evolution of public housing, trying to break down some of the stereotypes and give the true story behind it. But also in Chicago, it's going to represent the whole nation. But it's really interesting this in Chicago because some of the biggest movements, political movements have come out of organizing around public housing rights. Marion Stamps, who was mm-hmm. an uh, 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 amazing force of nature, uh, was one of the people who led that. And that kind of morphed into the whole fight to get Harold Washington to be mayor of the city of Chicago. Yeah. So that museum should be a wonderful asset to the city of Chicago. The idea is that it will break some of the, the stereotypes that might be out there. About That's right. Places. About the, what what people think of when they yeah. think of public housing. Where exactly is it going to be located? Um, I don't remember the exact address. I just know that they de- they definitely I, had I the just, ground, yeah. groundbreaking. Yeah, and it's it's much needed. Yes. Yeah. Well, as we look ahead to next week, I'm curious what you guys are going to be keeping your eyes on. You want to go first, Kimberly? Sure. Um, we're still waiting for some more people to drop their name into the mayoral race. That's something that's going to be really, we're going to be on the watch for that. And then also there's a new organization called Black Women Who Lead that just got its start on Indigenous People Columbus Day, um, just discussing how black women are tired of having symbolic representation and want to have more power. Mm. That's a good one. What about you, Dan? Well, on the government and politics team here at WBZ and certainly our, our counterparts in the same beat at the uh, Sun-Times um, and our competitors, we're all looking at one election at a time, Kimberly. Uh, first one next month, uh, what what sort of things uh, the candidates are saying for uh, governor, senator, um, Congress, uh, statewide offices that are all on the ballot next month. And um, the other thing um, we'll be also looking at uh, going back to the start of the program is uh, this um, expanded uh, Madigan case. And yeah. uh, there's, I think, That'll arraignment keep you for busy. AT&T next week. For sure. So. Mike, what's on your radar? Well, I'm going to be paying attention on the Indiana side to this, uh, the one and only debate between um, U.S. Senate uh, Republican incumbent Todd Young and Tom McDermott Jr. He's a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Now, normally Republicans have a free reign in Indiana, but this is a race that is tightening yeah. and is going to play a role in the control of the U.S. Senate. So that's a, it's a, it's a race that is really tightening. They have their only debate this Sunday in Indianapolis. I'm going to be watching for that. My thanks to WBEZ's Mike Puente and Dan Mahalopoulos and WVON's Kimberly Agoin. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. That's it for Reset. The show is produced by Meha Ahmed. Haima de Medici, Linnea Dominic, Brenda Ruiz, Micah Yason, Claire Hyman, Michael Liptrot, Andrea Guthman, Char Dastin, and Andrew Merriweather. Dan Tucker is our executive producer. Ethan Schwab is our engineer.